The Washington Post issues a correction to a months-old hit piece on former President Donald Trump, suggesting key details were fabricated by its sources. Unfortunately, it's nothing new for America's legacy media, who prove with every passing day they can't be trusted. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Look, we don't trust the media. We know we can't trust the media. It's probably why you're here watching me. You understand that I tell you what I actually think, who I am, what I believe, and I have to hold myself to account if I'm wrong. I got to tell you that. The mainstream media, the corporate media, we shouldn't use the term mainstream. Hat tip my friend Michael Malice on that one. They're the corporate media. Why are they mainstream? Because they're part of large corporations that often really have not very much at all to do with media except for their news arm? Come on now. We understand what's going on here, right? 95% of journalists work for one party, the Democrat Party. That's just the reality that we're all in. And that includes the Washington Post, which of course is owned, speaking of corporate media, by Amazon Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest left-wing billionaire on the planet. And here's what happened. Let's just review the story for a moment. Two months ago, they, they posted something about how Trump pressured a Georgia state election official. And this was during the whole period where everyone was so concerned over what Trump was doing to overturn the results of the election, interfering in our democracy, fascism just steps away, all that crazy stuff. Remember that? And they said that the president was willing to tell that, uh, that Georgia election official, find the fraud, and you'll be a national hero when you do, essentially. Those are the two quotes. One of those quotes actually made its way into the impeachment proceeding of Donald Trump second time around. Well, here's the correction the Washington Post put up on this one. Two months after publication of the story, the Georgia Secretary of State released an audio recording of President Donald Trump's December phone call with the state's top election investigator. The recording revealed that the Post misquoted Trump's comments on the call based on information provided by a source. Trump did not tell the investigator to find the fraud or say she would be a national hero if she did. That's a pretty big uh-oh. And you know, other news organizations also relying on anonymous sources verified the Washington Post reporting based on their anonymous source about the fabricated quotes. Were they all using the same source, but just didn't want to name the source because then everyone realized it was coming from the same person? Were they making stuff up? They got it wrong, and they got it wrong in a big way. But here's the problem. It worked for them. This wasn't about telling the truth. This was about making Trump look like an anti-election monster, a would-be authoritarian, a strong man. Whatever fit into that narrative, that's all that really mattered. And here's just a little remem uh, remembrance, if you will, of the kind of things that they were saying at the time in the media, a supercut of sorts. Another week, another call. NBC News confirming that President Trump called Georgia's chief elections investigator to, quote, find the fraud, saying that official would be, quote, a national hero. President Trump personally called Georgia's lead in elections investigator and demanded that person produce evidence which didn't exist and, quote, find the fraud adding that if they did so, they would be a, quote, national hero. The Washington Post reported yesterday that President Trump called a Georgia election investigator and pressured him to, quote, find the fraud. 
And President Trump apparently pressured an election investigator to find the fraud. Again, not the phone call out of Georgia, another one. We now know of um, a second, there's so much, uh, a second call from President Trump to Georgia officials about trying to overturn the election. Uh, he reportedly told uh, an elections investigator in Cobb County to, quote, find the fraud, and then that person would be a national hero. Find the fraud. Seems like a, a directive. The kind of thing that a president calling a state election official during a disputed election, remember that was, the call was back in December, the reporting was in January, the kind of thing that would get a lot of people riled up. What's the problem with it? Oh, that's right, it's a lie. The whole thing's a lie. It didn't happen. You know how we know? Because the phone call, the actual recording, was found because of a Freedom of Information Act request on a state official's computer where it had been put in the trash. So we accidentally, in a sense, or somebody actually decided they were going to get the truth here, but we kind of in a haphazard fashion found the real audio, and the real audio showed this was never said. Do you think the media feels chastened at all by this? Or are they embarrassed? No. They got clicks, they got ratings, they got viewers, and it bashed Trump. Mission accomplished from the media's perspective. These are organs of propaganda. They do not exist to tell you facts and truth. I tell you what I think. They tell you what they pretend is objective reality, but it's just what they think, and they're a bunch of left-wing activists. That's the truth. That's what actually goes on here. It's not the only time, by the way. This was an important story, but there have been other very important ones. Remember the Hunter Biden story right before the election when people were making decisions about who they were going to support? Hunter Biden had a laptop. There was all this talk about China and, you know, 10 for the big guy, meaning Joe Biden. I mean, this went right to the Democrats' chosen candidate. Here's what some of the corporate media was saying at the time about this. Uh, You have NBC, how a fake persona laid the groundwork for the Hunter Biden conspiracy deluge. Inquirer.com, New York Post bombshell echoes Kremlin propaganda about uh, Joe and Hunter Biden. Rolling Stone, Twitter and Facebook allow Pizzagate-esque conspiracy theories to spread about Hunter Biden. Um, And then, of course, most importantly of all, Facebook and Twitter, the two most important social media platforms, shut down the story said that it was stolen information. Hmm. The New York Times published the Pentagon Papers a long time ago, and they were hailed as heroes. Now, all of a sudden, information that was obtained through illicit means can't be published by news organizations? That's an... an, Oh, that's not even what happened. It was a laptop that was in the custody and therefore the property of, because it was after the 30-day window of leaving it behind at some repair shop in Delaware, there was no illegality. It was a scoop, a huge one. The New York Post ran with it, but they tried to suppress it. How could the media have gotten that one so wrong? Do they seem ashamed? Did you see any apologies? Did Facebook or Twitter say, yeah, we're sorry? No. Joe Biden won. That was the whole point. You see how this is happening, right? We just have machinery of propaganda pretending to be journalism. And then there's another one, one that is not yet over. And it's the story, once again, going to the election and that disputed period and when people were... Uh, tempers were were flaring up about what had happened in the 2020 election. And then, of course, the January 6th riot that the media pretended was an insurrection to overthrow the government, which is absurd, but it was a riot. But one of the ways they got people, including me, to condemn in the harshest possible terms what happened on January 6th was pointing out that a police officer was killed 
And I always say I back the blue and I actually have principles unlike the clowns at CNN. So I said, I still back the blue, even when people who are on the right do something against law enforcement that is illegal, I back the blue hundred percent. They killed a cop. You can't kill a cop. Problem is now from what we know, they didn't kill a cop. New York Times said on Wednesday, pro-Trump rioters attacked that citadel of democracy, overpowered Mr. Sicknick, 42, and struck him on the head with a fire extinguisher, according to law enforcement officials. Bloody gash in his head, rushed to the hospital, placed on life support. A really tough story to read from some weeks ago, it's, except it's not true. Didn't happen. Completely false. In fact, there was no bruising, no contusion, no attack whatsoever that killed Officer Sicknick. What did? Capitol Police won't tell us. Media, once again, got a story very wrong, but who is helped by the wrongness? That's the question I want you to continue to ask every time something like this comes up. Who is helped by the wrongness? Tends to be Democrats, doesn't it? Almost like the media is helping one team, and if they have to sacrifice their credibility, their honesty, their integrity, their professionalism in the process, Small price to pay. So just remember that as we go uh, forward into this Biden administration. In a bizarre display, 20 National Guardsmen were marched to the office door of a sitting U.S. Congresswoman yesterday. Apparently, the threat against the Capitol is so great that our men and women in uniform have to be used as props by left-wing politicians. Conservative commentator Cameron Kinsey is going to give her take when we come back. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you knew you didn't have the time to do it on your own? I felt exactly the same way as you until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investment, right? Slow and steady and building and growing, but I didn't know how to get investing in real estate going on my own while, you know, staying committed to my profession. So I do hours a day of original programming and content. I'm constantly preparing for these shows. How was I ever gonna take the time to invest in real estate on my own? Like you, I'm super busy. I didn't know when I was gonna do this, but then I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me, and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, that's doneforyoubuck.com. They'll take you step-by-step from beginning to end of your real estate investment journey, and you're gonna wanna go through it again once you do it the first time. I already have. Visit doneforyoubuck.com. Yesterday, more than 20 members of the Guam National Guard accompanied a Guam representative on an unannounced visit to Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene's Washington, D.C. office up on Capitol Hill. Uh, Why, you ask? Because they were supposedly offended that Representative Greene referred to Guam, mistakenly, as a foreign country during an address at CPAC last month. I was down there. I didn't actually see the address, though. Although the National Guard officials insist the impromptu march was not a political statement, the stunt is, once again, raising questions about the recent politicization of our military. Joining me on to discuss this and more recent woke military situations, as well as the lockdown of D.C. with fencing and all the rest, is conservative commentator Cameron Kinsey. Cameron, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. So what do we think of members of the Guam National Guard marching to a congresswoman's office to make a mockery of her because she said something wrong in a speech last month. It seems to me like that's not what National Guard folks are supposed to do in uniform or otherwise. 
Absolutely, Buck. It's completely absurd and disgusting at that. Our troops should not be politicized in this manner or used as props um, for political play. And now we see in D.C. there's still this thousands of people deployed, thousands of National Guard deployed, as well as all kinds of security forces, federal law enforcement. Just you're based in D.C. doing reporting and work down there. When you walk around, you see this stuff. What's going through your mind? I mean, what are the people that you know down there thinking about? We can show people here on the screen fences and barricades and lots of soldiers for the QAnon threat. I mean, Cameron, what's going on here? Oh, my gosh. When I walk into work, I can barely get in. There's barricades all around the Capitol right now. And it's kind of baffling considering under the Trump administration, they said that our southern border wall was immoral. And here they are, uh, you know, taking millions of dollars from taxpayers to fund the to Fort Pelosi. It's disgusting. Um, it's not fair uh, to the men and women uh, that are having to be in Washington, D.C. right now. And it's definitely not a fair uh, fight for Americans either because we should put their safety first. And we've also seen the military coming after Tucker Carlson specifically. Uh, they, they had some official Twitter accounts from some very senior members of the force and also some pretty well-known components of the U.S. military calling out Tucker, saying that he can't really have an opinion because he never served, which is new for journalists because journalists have opinions on a lot of things and very few of them have actually served. But even in a few cases, Cameron, saying things that almost sounded a little bit like veiled threats from the U.S. military, I I'm quite confident, I mean, I know you worked in the previous White House, that if under the Trump administration there had been journalists who were called out by what was the military under Trump, that we'd be hearing about fascism and the crushing of the First Amendment. But this happens and most journalists are kind of just fine with it. Yep, that's the hypocrisy of the left, Buck. And it's just crazy how they're trying to cancel Tucker Carlson and say that he shouldn't have an opinion because he didn't serve in the military. Well, I'll tell you this, Buck, as a woman, I didn't see anything wrong with his statement. We shouldn't have pregnant women fighting overseas. And that shouldn't even be an argument to discuss. He said specifically in that segment that he believes that there should be standards within the military. And I completely agree. That's why we have those set in place so our military can succeed. And, you know, if this happened to Don Lemon with the Trump administration, there would be outrage for weeks. There would be statements coming out from different journalists uh, with free speech and, and issuing, you know, statements that say that we should be prioritizing and not instead of um, coming after a journalist. But it, it's just absurd, the double standard, what this would have happened with the Trump administration and what's going on right now. I don't believe that there was anything wrong with Tucker's statement. I'm sure you also saw that there was a quite a retraction from the Washington Post that had reported two months ago, speaking of journalists and their integrity, we were talking about this earlier in the show, uh, reported that President Trump, while he was President Trump, essentially threatened and, and tried to coerce a member of the Georgia election board into finding the votes to make him uh, the president, or at least to, to win the state of Georgia, as the case was. Turns out that wasn't true. Turns out that, though, here you go, the Washington Post had quite a correction here, basically saying, yeah, 
This story that we ran that actually ended up making its way into the impeachment, the second impeachment proceeding against Trump was uh, not true at all. I mean, we, we used some things in here. There were quotes, I should say, that were not accurate at all, effectively made up. What's your, what's your reaction to this? I mean, at what point do you think people can realize they just can't trust the media at all? It's completely evident, Buck, with the Washington Post in this retraction. There's no journalism integrity anymore. I just have to say that it's all fake. And, you know, if this would have happened to the right and if we would have done something with this within our party, there would be outrage for weeks with all the different uh different journalists on the other side uh, fighting for a different narrative. It's, there's such a complete double standard when it comes to this. And I'm glad that they made that retraction, but they shouldn't have made that error in the first place because it's just spreading lies to the American people. Cameron Kinsey, thanks so much for joining. Good to have you on. Thank you, Buck. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas insists the southern border is secure. But with thousands of migrants being granted entrance on a daily basis, we should probably be a little skeptical. We're going to have more on that in tonight's Buck Brief. We're living in very uncertain times, and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in today is anything but predictable. The government's passing massive spending bills, the Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency, and many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We can all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. Well, what could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver that you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now, 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Give them a call right now, 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. The border is secure. The United States Border Patrol secures the border on behalf of the American people. That's what we do, and we are doing it. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas assuring the American people that our border is absolutely secure. This despite reports that thousands of migrants are surging across the southern border on a daily basis. In the latest move by the Biden administration to deal with the crisis, the government has announced that they will house up to 3,000 immigrant teenagers at the K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center in downtown Dallas. It's worth noting that Dallas is over 400 miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. With additional reports of overcrowded detention facilities and tent cities being erected along the border, Secretary Mayorkas's insistence that our border is secure should be met with a healthy, do healthy dose of skepticism. So what can we expect in the coming weeks and months as this crisis grows increasingly worse? Let's take a look at it in tonight's Buck Brief. It's a crisis. They can play word games as much as they want. They can say that this is just a challenge, this is a hurdle, this is something that requires a little additional attention. They're sending FEMA to the border, folks. That's how out of control it's gotten. And why is it happening now? It's just a coincidence the Biden administration gets rid of some key parts of what the Trump administration put in place to stop a border surge just like this one. And they managed to do it, by the way, 
They get rid of that, they change the policies, and the rest of the world knows the Democrat Party in America is basically the Amnesty Party and kind of the Open Borders Party, too. They figure that out and they decide, now's a great time to show up, now's a great time to come. Oh, I'm sorry, actually, what the Democrats are openly saying is, hold on, hold on. It's not that we don't want you gaming our immigration system. It's not that we don't want you claiming fake asylum so that you can get access into the interior of the United States, never show up for your hearing, because 80% plus of the people that have claimed defensive asylum in this manner in the past don't actually qualify for asylum. Um, the issue is just too many too soon. It's not that they're opposed to this altogether. Here's Mayorka saying that it's really, we just need, this is the DHS secretary, folks, we just need a more orderly system. We are building the capacity to address the needs of those children when they arrive, but we are also and critically sending an important message that now is not the time to come to the border. We are saying, do not take the dangerous journey now. Give us time to build an orderly, safe way to arrive in the United States and make the claims that the law permits you to make. Orderly. Hmm. Hold on a second. Make the claims that the United States allows you to make? That's all well and good if you're actually going to enforce when those claims don't get validated in the courts, which means deporting people who don't actually qualify. That is the law. People can say they think that's awful, it's evil, it's racist, whatever they want. It is, in fact, the law, so they do have to deal with this. If it's so bad, change the law. Oh, wait, but if you change the law, then you're open borders, right? You come into the country, you say you want it, you should get asylum, you believe that that's, uh, that's a right that you have as a, a foreigner in the United States. Turns out that you don't actually qualify for asylum, but you get to stay anyway. That's some immigration system we've got, isn't it? Something that we really have to keep an eye on. And speaking of keep an eye on, why aren't we seeing more of what's going on? How much footage have you really seen of the streams of people crossing the Rio Grande, in fact, but the, but the the waves of migrants, sometimes hundreds and hundreds at a time, just walking across the U.S.-Mexico border. How much have you seen of these uh, detention facilities, these large camps that are full of people, that are, that are overwhelmed, overflowing with people who, who, by the way, have broken the law by not coming to a port of entry. The media won't tell you this. That's why I'm telling you this. It is illegal to enter the United States not at a port of entry. Full stop. Even if you are claiming real asylum, you've still broken the law to come on U.S. soil. Now, I'm not saying it's an, you know, a class A felony, but it is, a, it is breaking the law. It is lawlessness. And that's why we have to now look at what the Democrats are really willing to do. And to do that, we need to see what's going on. But there's really not a lot of transparency. Even MSNBC has reporters saying, can't really see what's going on. Dasha, meanwhile, where you are in Donna, Texas, you're getting a, a, a firsthand look at one of these facilities that's, that's been called, quote, the epicenter of overcrowding. What are you seeing there? Well, Craig, frankly, we're not seeing a whole lot. There has not been a lot of transparency into this facility. No one has been granted access inside. We have asked for that. We've also asked for photos and videos of the current conditions in the facility, as well as numbers of how many people are actually inside. We have not been provided any of that information yet. Do you think that the media would be pretty blasé about this? If you had massive facilities, full of migrants, including thousands and thousands of children, unaccompanied children, children who are alone, 
And the press can have no access? I mean, they could say, can you at least make sure you blur identities or faces, but, you know, show them the conditions? No. No, but this is the Biden administration, you see. You're getting some sense of what these facilities are like. I remember when it was Trump, it was kids in cages, inhuman. The former CIA director, Mike Hayden, my old boss, God, said it was concentration camps Trump was operating at the border. Well, what are these camps? What's going on here? Why is this so different? Ah, because there's a Democrat in charge. And then there are some who are even saying that there are national security considerations here. If people knew more about the border in the liberal media, which most of them don't know or don't care to know, they'd understand that, yes, Central American migrants are a large portion of those showing up, but there are also people from all over the world, including some countries that happen to be well-associated, well-known to be associated as hotbeds of terrorism, of, of international terrorist activity. And here's New York Republican Congressman John Katko, who's saying that they've actually got people on the terror watch list who are coming across the border. The last thing I'll tell you is something that very much concerns me as a Homeland Security uh, ranking member. People they've caught in the last few days over there in Sector 3 or Monument 3 have been on the uh, terror watch list. Individuals that they have on the watch list for terrorism are now starting to uh, exploit the southern border. We need to wake up. Let's be very clear about this. 99.999% of the people coming across our border, a lot of them are family units, they're unaccompanied children, they're not terrorists, and no one's saying they are. But if you are overwhelmed, and you can't have Border Patrol actually governing the space they're supposed to, actually enforcing the laws, if you don't have the resources to really check to see who people are, if 30-year-olds can get away with claiming they're 17, as has happened before at the border, to take advantage of our policies, how hard would it be for a handful, even one, well-trained extremist to get across U.S. borders for an international terror plot? Just, yeah, you have to think, we're supposed to think of borders as a national security issue. Now, all of a sudden, we've got a border that's wide open. We're not allowed to talk about that anymore. Got to keep our eyes on this one. You can't trust the Democrats. They won't even show you what's going on. They just keep saying it's not a crisis. Forget it, forget it. They're just trying to... They're trying to get the train to amnesty going as fast as possible. Everything else they're going to ignore. We're going to keep following this. It's only a matter of time before the Democratic majority in Congress set its sights on American gun rights. The editor of BearingArms.com, our friend Cam Edwards, is going to join us next to explain this threat to the Second Amendment. In the past, when they sent it over to us last time, it went into Mitch McConnell's legislative graveyard. The legislative graveyard is over. H.R. 8 will be on the floor of the Senate and we will see where everybody stands. Nothing in H.R. 8 or H.R. 1446 violates any part of the Bill of Rights. It does not violate the First Amendment. It does not violate the right to due process and it does not violate the Second Amendment. The House passed two bills last week that would tighten gun sales regulations and expand background checks. This is a new push by Democrats to enact the first major gun control law in more than two decades. Here to discuss a guy who could walk us through this backwards and forwards and all over again, Cam Edwards, editor of BearingArms.com. Cam, man, great to have you. Hey, Buck, thanks so much for the invite, man. So let's start with this. People probably haven't even heard. I mean, I've been trying to get the word out about H.R. 1, which is basically the replay 2020 and then some so that Democrats win every election forever because there's no Voter Integrity Act. That's not what Democrats call it, but that's what it would be. H.R. 8, H.R. 1446 that deal with 
gun issues, Second Amendment issues, Cam? Tell us what's going on here. I, I, I bet most of the people watching haven't even heard about it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I, I've been surprised at the lack of uh, media coverage for these bills, given that they're the first part of Joe Biden's anti-gun agenda to get through at least you know one chamber of Congress. So HRA is a quote-unquote universal background check bill. Uh, and what this would do would require that every private transfer of a firearm, with limited exceptions, uh, be conducted through a federally licensed firearms dealer. So you'd have to find a gun store that would do these background checks. You'd have to drive there. Uh, if you're selling a gun to somebody, even if it's somebody you know, you'd have to do this. In fact, not only when you're selling a gun, if you're loaning a gun to somebody, so your buddy wants to take your rifle uh, on his hunting trip out west, well, you've got to go down to a gun store. Uh, your neighbor calls you and says, I'm worried that my abusive ex-boyfriend is going to show up at my door. You'd have to find a gun store that's open that late at night uh, in order for you to loan her a gun for self-defense. And Buck, if you violate this law, it is punishable by up to a year in federal prison and a $100,000 fine. Is there anybody who thinks that this is really substantially? Is there any data? I shouldn't say anybody who thinks because the left is crazy. Is there any data to substantiate that this would cut down on violence of any kind? This kind of additional background? No. Check? No. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, first of all, I think the bill is deeply flawed in a couple of ways. I think that it, it entraps otherwise would be legal gun owners, and it turns them into criminals. But at the same time, I have to admit, this bill is largely unenforceable. And it's absolutely unenforceable in terms of preventing criminals from getting a gun on the black market, because there's no way that the government can try to monitor every private transfer of a firearm. If they did so, we'd be living in a police state that you know makes China look like a libertarian paradise. So this bill has enforceability issues, but I also think it has some, some real ideological issues because it is aimed squarely at legal gun owners and creating a crime out of thin air rather than actually focusing on the violent criminals, a much smaller subsection of the American population that's responsible for the rise in shootings and murders that we're seeing in so many cities right now. So, so I mean, this, this crime, to, to really deter violence in the way that they would, would seem to think or the, that they would propose, it would be if, if I'm willing to sell some, you know, if I'm going to sell somebody a gun, uh, I, I would then have to go and get a background check done on, on that person. But if I wanted to sell somebody a gun who was a felon and I didn't care, I'm not gonna do the background check anyway, right? So I, don't, I don't really understand. I mean, the way this works in different states is guys illegally go, they buy guns in a state where they can, or they get them maybe illegally themselves. They, you know, they sell them out of their trunk to whomever they you know, get into contact with who wants a gun. They're not running background checks. So they're not gonna run background checks on this either. So what's the point? Well, the point is for Democrats to be able to say they did something rather than actually something that works. And, and unfortunately, this is an issue that polls well because most people don't know the devil in the details. Now, in 2016, voters in Maine actually had the chance to approve or reject universal background checks, and they said no. They voted it down, 52-48, because they understood the problems in this bill. Uh, that same year, a background check bill narrowly passed in Nevada, like 50.1% of the vote, uh, it did pass. But it was unable to go into effect because of the flaws in how the law was written. So, you know, the Democrats think that they can get political benefit out of this. But the thing that bothers me the most, honestly, Buck, beyond the attack on my Second Amendment rights, which at this point I'm almost numb to, 
It's the fact that violent crime is going up in a lot of cities in this country. And right. there are good people in bad neighborhoods who really do need help. And instead of delivering on proven, effective, targeted deterrence programs that actually focus on those violent offenders, these Democrats are offering a false promise to these people. They're lying to these people about what this bill will do, saying it will make them safer when it won't do a thing to help them or their children or their grandparents. This is a, this is a do something bill we need to do something that works. You know, they're they're also pushing the emotional buttons on this. You can tell. I, I have yeah. a rule, Cam, you know, I talk about this on radio, where anytime a Democrat, but particularly anytime Nancy Pelosi says, it's for the children, we have to do this for the children, you should be very skeptical, right? Because she's trying to push those emotional buttons without making a fair argument. Here we go, Pelosi saying that these gun control bills, what exactly we were talking about, to protect our kids, Cam, play it. Drumbeat created by the people out there, the survivors of gun violence. We told them we're not resting until we get this job done. And as I say about these members of Congress, there's not, uh, if you're afraid to vote for gun violence prevention because of your political survival, understand this, the political survival of none of us is more important than the survival of our children. It's about, it's about the children, Cam. And if you're, if you, Oppose universal background checks. Nancy Pelosi wants you to know you don't care about kids dying. If this is if this is supposed to be a demonstration of caring about children, I mean, honestly, this is nothing more than apathy, if that's the case. Because, again, this will do nothing to prevent a single criminal transfer of a firearm. Nothing. And Nancy Pelosi knows it. And by the way, this is not a gun violence prevention bill. This is a gun control bill. The programs that I'm talking about, programs like Project uh, a Ceasefire, uh, the violence interrupters that we see that, you know, again, are working within those local communities. Those are true gun violence prevention programs. And I, as a Second Amendment advocate, see a lot of benefit to those because, again, they're targeted at the violent offenders. They're not about putting more gun control laws on the books. They're not about trying to criminalize aspects of the Second Amendment. Do you think yeah. they actually might get this done? I know the gun control groups are really lobbying the Senate hard to think that they can, you know, they, they do have a, a de facto majority. You think they can get it done? Well, I don't think they can get 60. So I think they're looking for ways to get 51. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just as with H.R. 1, it all boils down to Joe Manchin. It all boils down to Kristen Sinema. And it all boils down to the filibuster. Uh, if Democrats are convinced that that this is their one shot to get their legislative agenda through and so they're going to destroy every norm in the senate to do so uh then yeah not only but here's the thing but if that happens this bill isn't the bill we have to worry about because yeah i want to know what comes next that was that's actually the question i was going to follow up as we can get right to that what do you think what are the crown jewels of the gun grabbers under this Biden administration if they decide to go for broke and get whatever they can done to restrict or eliminate Second Amendment rights? What are they going to try to do? You know, I think they're going to try to pass a, a gun ban. Uh, Biden, you know, Dianne Feinstein has already introduced a quote-unquote assault weapons ban in the Senate, but it is not what Joe Biden proposed. What Joe Biden proposed was that if you own one of the guns that he doesn't want you to own, you would either have to hand it over to the government in a compensated confiscation scheme that give you a little bit of cash, you give them your guns, or you'd have to pay the federal government 
You'd have to register your firearms under the National Firearms Act. And they promised once they knew where those guns were, they'd let you keep them forever and ever. Uh, that is what Joe Biden called for. And if they nuke the filibuster, if they can get legislation through with 51 votes, that's exactly what they'll try to do. Cam, appreciate you holding the line on this one, man. Thanks so much. And come back and talk to us because this is not going away, as you and I both know. Yeah, anytime, bud. Thanks, man. CNN's ratings have plummeted since Donald Trump left office, but there's good news. They might have found a new Trump. We got that story and more up next in tonight's Quick Hits. As you know, I love and respect our nation's protectors. The men and women in the military are veterans and first responders. While there are many great programs out there designed to assist and provide treatment to our warriors in different capacities, one stands out above the rest, Warrior's Heart. Warrior's Heart is dedicated to healing our nation's warriors. They provide the first and only private accredited treatment program in the U.S. for warriors only, military veterans and first responders faced with the self-medicating struggles of alcohol addiction, prescription and drug addiction, PTSD, mild traumatic brain injury, along with other recurring issues, all in a private 40-bed facility on a 543-acre ranch. More so, warriors are provided with a minimum 42-day peer-to-peer residential treatment program. Warrior's Heart gives warriors the option of day treatment, outpatient, and sober living with a 60-day minimum. To reach their 24-hour hotline, dial 866-950-0636, and your call will be answered by a warrior. To learn more about their treatment center, go to warriorsheart.com slash the first. Again, that's warriorsheart.com slash the first. CNN thinks they found their new Donald Trump and the views Joy Behar apparently thinks Antifa doesn't exist. We got those stories on Quick Hits. Let's get right to it. Now, CNN is going through a tough time right now because why does CNN exist? It's not a journalistic enterprise. It's, it's not really a news network. It's a commentary network posing as a news network. And it's really a bunch of Democrat activists who call themselves journalists because then they get to feel better about themselves at cocktail parties and they don't have to actually engage with and try to debate people like me on the battlefield of ideas. No, they're journalists. They're above the fray while they spew their propaganda. Although there are a few over there who it's quite clear aren't actually journalists. In fact, their only job is to go after other people in media. That's right. They exist to trash other people that are in the media. That, that is their only role. And none other than Brian Stelter uh, said that, that Donald Trump has reemerged in a sense, in a new form, if you will. Tucker Carlson's the new Donald Trump. Tucker Carlson is the new Donald Trump. Tucker has taken Trump's place as a right-wing leader, as an outrage generator, as a fire starter. Think about all the ways these two men are similar. Every day, Carlson is throwing bombs, making online memes, offending millions of people, also delighting millions of others, tapping into white male rage and resentment, uh, stoking uh, distrust of big tech in the media, generally coarsening the discourse, never apologizing for anything, and setting the GOP's agenda. Sounds like a recently retired president, right? I mean, Brian Stelter is not very bright and not very interesting, but nonetheless, this is showing you how much they actually need Trump, that they would pretend that somebody else is Trump. Tucker's great, Tucker has a huge audience, there's a lot of things that uh, Tucker does that are absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's not Donald Trump, 
I don't think Tucker thinks he's Donald Trump. He's not the president of the United States. And you just see that CNN is going to have a tough time here because why does CNN exist? That's the question that it has to answer. It's a legacy network. So sure, there are people that still believe in the brand. They think they're getting journalism. But really, if you're going to be spoon-fed leftism and Democrat talking points, why not watch MSNBC? Why not watch one of the streaming networks online with people who are just straight up saying that they're socialists and radicals and want to change America dramatically, right? I mean, at least get the real thing. Don't get the watered-down version from CNN. But yes, Tucker Carlson is the new Donald Trump. Uh, they're, they're desperate. They're looking for something. Also, why not Hannity? Why Tucker? I'm just wondering. I mean, there are plenty of conservative commentators who say a lot of the things that or share a lot of the ideas that Tucker shares, but they're not considered Donald Trump. So I'm just putting that out there. Uh, Don Lemon, speaking of, I know a lot of our quick hits ends up being CNN. I'm realizing this, guys. We're going to have to spread this out. I don't want this to be the anti-CNN segment. Here's Don Lemon, though, telling everybody, um, this is important. How can we end racism? And if you are a person of faith in this country, and, and you, we know America is built on faith and religious freedom, then we have to, I think, a good way of starting is to present the true identity of Jesus. And that is as a black or a brown person, rather than someone who looks like a white hippie from uh, Sweden or Norway. Okay. Uh, Jesus was Jewish, so there's that. Um, and also... Don Lemon's version of events here, Don Lemon's discussion. Uh, how, is, what, what is that going, how is that going to help anything exactly? What, what, what is, what, the, the thinking behind this is fascinating. If, if the depictions of Jesus that largely in Western culture do come from Renaissance depictions of Jesus, where he is uh, often Northern Italian in appearance, but that would change what exactly? We don't know what he looked like. There's no portrait of him. Nothing really exists. That's going to solve racism, though. Well, no, no, Don Lemon's got it all wrong. You know, it, it, canceling Aladdin, which now has a, has a trigger warning. The movie Aladdin has a trigger warning now. That's going to cancel racism. Boom. That's all you need. Antifa burns down people's buildings, stores, ruins things, attacks cops, attacks journalists, sends them to the hospitals, even killed a couple of people, murdered them. Antifa is a very bad organization, and yet there are people that don't want to have to deal with the fact that it is from the left, and that if they're affiliated with any political party, they're obviously much more Democrats than anything else. So what's the way to deal with this? Just say Antifa isn't really a thing. It's just a a concept, you see. Here is uh, Village Idiot Joy Behar saying that. Play it. He and I are very different. I'll tell you this right now. If I was surrounded by people carrying weapons, uh, people erecting nooses, a screaming hang Mike Pence, bludgeoning a police officer to death, I might be a little scared. But Ron, no, he's not scared (laughs) of those people. He's scared of this fictitious idea of Antifa, a thing that doesn't even exist. He needs to go. We just had Andy Ngo on the show yesterday. They opened up Andy Ngo's head. They hit him with a, I think it was a brick, sent him to the hospital, gave him a brain hemorrhage. Uh, I'm pretty sure they exist. And maybe she should, maybe she should have Andy Noe on The View and he could talk, uh, along with many other people, including members of law enforcement who have had bottles of urine thrown at them, lasers flashed in their eyes to try to blind them, but doesn't even exist. Friends, we are in an era where people who want power and want sanctimoniousness, want to virtue signal, they don't care about the truth at all. And that's not going to change. We care here. We do. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.